right. I'm already. I, I, I walked in and saw that photo, and I'm. I'm. We're gonna have mom light the Shabbat candles. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm home. Yay! And then, um, do you guys? I want to say I picked Megan last week. Logan. Oh, Logan. Was it Logan? Okay. I did hear about that, Logan. Can before? Did you want to start right away with Torah portion? If you got something, go ahead. No, I. Well, I mean, I do have something. Go ahead. Um, it doesn't have really anything to do with Torah portions, but I wanted to just kind of. I, I just. I feel like I want to release something over the family. Um. This will be the second or third week, if I'm not mistaken, that I keep seeing sickness. And so, oh, I can't come. This is going on. And then it, and then it's this. And then it was like, I'm nauseous. And then I'm not. And then I have a fever. And then I'm not. And then my throat. And I just, so I just, I want, I don't know what it is that I want to release over the family. But what I do want to just relay is that we come from a different bloodline. And so if anything, I'm not relaying anything to you guys. I'm just dispensing it in the spirit that from this point forward, we operate in a different kingdom. So we don't get sick. I know that sounds crazy, but I say it all the time. Brewers do not get sick. I can count maybe on one hand. <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't get sick. And I say that because you got to attach your name to it. You know, not just like, well, people of the Lord, you know, like make it real that in our in our bloodline, there is healing in our bloodline. We walk in the fullness. We have access to something that other people do not have access to. So even if because their frequencies are at play here. So the moment you hear somebody's got a fever, the immediate thought is, well, I was just around that person two days ago. And so immediately it just gave a door. That thing just got a door and a gate to your thought process, and you just created sickness in your mind. So the moment I hear that somebody's sick, I immediately say that that's not real or that's not true. So that makes, or I'll just some somehow in my mindset, I'll be like that it stops here. It doesn't have any access point. So I just, I just, I just felt like I wanted to release that in the spirit because. Um, you know, just because we just, we just don't want the continuation of that. So obviously, you know, yes, you know, I can, I, you know, I declare, I decree, I pray healing over the family. Fevers need to go. They don't belong in this bloodline. Um, higher, higher temperatures are actually of Yahweh. They're not something to be afraid of. A fever is a good thing. It means that your body's actually killing what it needs to kill. So we just we just activate that our bodies know what to do. Our bodies know how to heal itself. And if we want to start to tap into some of the things that Yahweh is asking us to tap into, some of the, the crazy good things, then the least we can do is stand on a firm foundation that sickness does not belong in this house doesn't belong in us and we are dispensers of life not in, not sickness in the community so anyways i just wanted yeah. to kind of just dispense that that from this point moving forward every single person that has said that they are not feeling well will be 100 percent and completely full not by tomorrow morning but like right now Amen. so like you can text ellen like right now like fevers have done their job anaya fevers they've they've, they've worked their process and we just, we activate the administrating healing angels that are actually assigned to each an individual person and family that is called, their, their primary, 
they're 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 waiting to be activated. It's their own, healing angels. It's the only thing they do. But they are not a son and they are not a daughter. So they cannot just go flailing around, flailing around, handing out healings on their own because they're not Yahweh. They have to be administrated. Who administrates them? The sons and daughters. So you activate those healing angels. You activate those, those you administrate heaven and you release the healing over your family, um, over your bloodline. And so we just, healing is ours and we don't get sick. Amen. All right, Logan. Logan, come on up. Abraham journeyed from there to the region of, of the south and settled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. So Ambalamech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And God came to Ambalamech. Ambalamech. Amb I don't know. Abimelech. Amb sorry. Abimelech. Abimelech. Yes. Okay. In a dream by night, and said to him, "Behold, you are to die because of the because of the woman you have taken. Moreover, she is a married woman." Now, Am Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, "O oh my lord, you will slay a nation even though it is righteous." Did not he himself tell me she is my sister? And she too herself said he is my brother. In the innocence of my heart and integrity of my hands have I done this. And God said to him in a dream, I too knew that it was in the innocence of your heart that you did this. And I too prevented you from sinning against me. That is why I did not permit you to touch her. But now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, be aware that you shall surely die, you and all that is yours. Abimelech arose early next morning. He summoned all his servants and told them, told them all of the, these, these things in their ears. And the people were very frightened. Then Abimelech summoned Abraham and said to him, Why have you done this to us? Have I sinned against you that you brought me, that you brought upon me and my kingdom such great sin? Deeds that ought not to be done have done have you done to me? And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you didn't what did you see that you did such a thing? And Abraham said, Because I said, There is but no fear of God in this place, and they will slay me because of my wife. Moreover, she is indeed my sister, my father's daughter, though not my mother's daughter. And she became my wife. And so it was when Yahweh, or when God, caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, let this be your kindness, which you shall do for me. To whatever place we come, say of me, he is my brother. So Abimelech took flocks of cattle and servants and made servants and gave to Abraham. And he returned his wife, Sarah, to him. 
And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you see fit. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, let it be for you an eye covering for all who are with you. And to all you will be vindicated. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his maids, and they were relieved. For Hashem had completely restrained every orifice of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Amen. Everybody wants to grab their elements. So we've been engaging this Torah portion since last Shabbat, eating of the word, right? We've been eating his flesh. He said that my my flesh, like, and he and he asked us to eat his flesh, and he was talking about the word becoming flesh, and so we've been eating it. This is just a manifestation in our in our not just in our minds but in our hearts to physically eat something, but let it correlate with everything you've been eating and everything we're about to eat. So when you're ready, that's why we say this Torah portion has been written on my heart because it's been an entire seven day, entire, an entire completeness that's coming to an end that's saying it's complete and it's in my heart. So whenever you're ready, you can say this Torah portion has been written on my heart. We've been taught scripturally that it's not done or finished until it's sealed in heaven. One of the activation, instead of just saying it's sealed, one of the ways to seal is to drink from the cup. And so if you want to say it is finished or if you want to say it is established, what we're saying, and because we understand that the word finished doesn't mean, right? When we when we say this, we're not saying this Torah portion is done and gone. Yeah. Right. Does that make any sense? We wouldn't say, we did that, check that off, moving on. It gives us a, gr a great revelation of what Yeshua was saying when he said, it is finished. He wouldn't say it the way that we've been taught before. So when we say this, we're saying it is established. It is being fulfilled. It is fulfilled in my heart. Just because it's fulfilled doesn't mean we don't follow it. But we want it to be fulfilled within our hearts. So when you're ready, it is established. All right, so... Um Appreciate everybody being here. Um, getting here safely. Yeah, getting here safely. Just getting a little sideways out. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start tonight, and I'm I'm not. I want to throw a disclaimer out there that I'm not coming from a place of like preaching or teaching. Um, tonight it's more of a testimony um, of the Torah, you know, being read by the Torah. So um, I'm going to start with that and then let mom teach the Torah portion. So when I came in and I saw that picture, um, what I immediately felt in my spirit was Yahweh holding my heart in his hands. And kind of in like a fear of the Lord way, like he could just cr he could just take my life if he wanted to. 
Um, and you guys will have to bear with me. Hopefully this, this makes sense what I'm saying. Last week's Torah portion was a place of, obviously we know the Torah is reading us, right? So like I said, this is a testimony. It's personal to what I've experienced this last week. Last week was exposure, like extreme exposure from Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole chapter. Um, and if you remember what we talked about last week or what I was saying last week, what it means to be a Hebrew is you have to leave your will, your own will, your own understanding, and your own habits. And I think that is a great <laughs> summary of the level of deep-rooted exposure that that I'm having to go through since last week. And it's getting even deeper now with this Torah portion, which is why I walked in and I'm just like, Eric, man, what are, you, what are we doing? <laughs> um, so I think last week was like extreme exposure. This week's Torah portion, I feel like, is describing or putting words to the level of extreme exposure as to what my issues are that he's actually exposing. Um, one of the verses in this week's chapter, when Abraham says, because I thought there's certainly no fear of God in this place, so they'll kill me because of my wife. It kind of sounds like Abraham's judging this region and saying God doesn't live here but he was unknowingly describing his own issue and I feel like that's what I did last week as I was talking about leaving your will leaving your understanding leaving your habits little did I know that I was going to get exposed in all of that like the remainder of the week and even more so this week and so hopefully that makes sense because this chapter is, I mean, it basically, <laughs> as I was going through the process of, of just the exposure and the level of exposure, reading this basically lined out like these are the problems that I'm exposing that I'm going to deal with. And so... I just want to highlight just basically and talk about um, some of these things. And the first thing I'll mention is when, and he actually just, as Logan was reading, he, this was another thing the Holy Spirit revealed was that about me, to me, was Abimelech said, he, he pleaded with God that surely you won't destroy me because I was innocent. I didn't know that was somebody's wife. And in my heart, my intentions were innocent. And the Holy Spirit pointed out to me that this isn't... Um, Yahweh responded to him and said, I didn't permit you to sin against me. So what he highlighted to me was that there are times where I think I'm innocent. I, in, my, in my understanding, I think I'm innocent. 
And that's even taken place to some degree over the last week or so, where I can think to myself or justify to myself why God should not destroy me. But Yahweh's response was, yes, I understand in your mind you thought you were innocent. It's basically what he's saying. But he still didn't allow him. That's He put boundaries around him because he knew you think you're innocent, but you're going to violate me. So, <laughs> this, I mean... I just want to hit a few things, so a few highlights. They're, they come into this chapter with their identities having been, been renewed. Their names have changed. And that's because of what Yahweh promised them. And he reaffirms their promise, right, by talking about their son, giving a time frame. And even after that, there still is this inability to trust. And when Abraham said, God doesn't live in this place, it's, and again, I'm talking about myself. What I'm realizing this week being read is that there is, there's a lack of fear of Yahweh. And, and I know that he's pointing that out in me because when I walked in, I immediately felt fearful, like he could just destroy me at any moment. Right? Presenting your heart to Yahweh is a very beautiful thing, and him presenting his heart to you is a very beautiful thing. And if anybody feels that that's what that picture represents, I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying what I felt was, he's like, I have your heart in my hands. Like, not a pretty, like, not pretty. And so we have, we read this chapter and it mirrors chapter 13 where you see the same issue, right? Last week's Torah portion was hard and a lot of people struggled with that because I know a handful of people were like, why would he just give his daughters up to this culture that would just violate them, right? Violently uh, rape them, right? Why would he do that? But what I'm experiencing in like, in these two chapters is that I'm that's me I'm the one doing that right I can't look at Megan had said it don't read it like oh my gosh I can't understand how they could do that I wouldn't give um, my daughter huh like contextually I wouldn't give my daughter away to a stranger but we can give our children away right to strangers and so So you see that issue, and I think you could basically sum it up in this, in chapter 13, this chapter, and the last chapter, is that the promises that he gives us, I'm placing it at risk. Avraham was putting himself again in a situation by saying, this is my sister, because he was scared for himself. He was trying to self-preserve, right? That's what... I, I am having to deal with self-preservation, which didn't just pop up this week. It's been decades of self-preservation and putting the promises at risk because what I'm not willing to deal with. 
And so ultimately, me trying to preserve myself for fear of whatever it is, exposure, is I'm putting that above his word and his promise. Like I'm trying to take on protecting myself when he said he would do that. Um, another thing that the, the Holy Spirit pointed out to me was when, when Yahweh declared to Abimelech that he was dead, the Holy Spirit was pointing out to me that where I might think there's life, Yahweh's saying, no, you're dead. Right? So in what's been exposed over the last couple weeks with these Torah portions and being read is that I'm acting as though there's life when there's really not. And Yahweh's making it very plain for me to understand that there's there's death where I'm just thinking or sticking my head in the sand or acting like there's life. And then you see you see Abraham engaging in half truths which are just I mean that's just as good as lying. And so again and you can add to any of this perspective from the outside perspective but all of these things are not this this wasn't like I didn't come into this and take these notes like hey I'm going to relay this information to the family this is a testimony of him reading me and the issues that are being exposed so that he can help me to deal with those issues that have essentially been there and it's not something that and I want to I want to make this clear this was not these were not issues that I voluntarily sought after or was hungry to address or open to confront or uh, willing to acknowledge before my wife and my kids like it all got exposed and so it's a it's an interesting pattern that we see with these men through all of the Torah portions that we've seen up to this point and how they can be so unaware of their own lack or thinking there's life, but there's really not. And the whole time Yahweh has to safeguard his promises because he won't, uh, he won't violate his own word, right? It's not because, it's not because somebody's perfect that he chooses them, right? It's, um, it's just very eye-opening to get read in this way and then to think about all the Torah portions up to this point. And so, um, I think for now I'll just leave it there and let mom teach on that. But I wanted to, and it, this we're, I'm still in the thick of it, so I didn't want to come sit up here and make it sound like any other Friday where we're just like giving a message because to me this isn't like I'm not sitting here to give a message it's more of like this he's I'm nervous he could kill me or destroy me because of these issues I wait ultimately every week it's always the same there's just some weeks that are more real than others that makes sense. Like we're always, we're never sitting up here releasing a message because we've already 
yeah. got it together. But some weeks are just yeah. a little bit more real than others. So to just be kind of plain, this Torah portion is like a man is telling half truths. So then when you have to deal with that at home, I'm like, how am I supposed to <laughs> dispense on this Torah portion when it's all about Sarah being vindicated and I'm the one releasing? Like, I don't... Like, it's so real, and we've been through this before. It's yeah. so real when we're talking about multiple sexual partners. It's so real when we're talking about Cain and Abel. It's like people are going to be thinking I'm talking about them. Well, it's just because the door is, you know, reading us. And so I just want you guys to know it's just as real for us. Um, so I think ultimately him saying all of that is to really cover my role and my position because we're talking about Sarah being vindicated and I'm I'm the one releasing and so not wanting to <laughs> come from a place like it would have been out of order if I didn't release where I'm at given the Torah portion, and then I get all really. fired up and I'm like and Yahweh will protect her even when her husband doesn't <laughs> and then he's like Ey. yeah but I mean but that's the scripture so this is what I've been. I can't be like, well, it's too personal. I guess we got to skip this week. So this is the pro. This is the process that we're in. Because just as much as he's saying that there's a process of exposure, there's a process of Sarah had to go through the process. She was completely and totally and utterly subject to all of the plans, and she had to submit to, to that to, to that process. So, so anyways, does that all make sense? I want to, everything he talked about, we're going to get into. We are going to get into um, uh, Abraham thinking that he, we're going, to, we're going to talk about judgment and how it's a mirror. We're going to talk about Abimelech, or, yeah, Abimelech uh, being pagan and um, just the way that he responded. I can't even remember all the things that you talked about. Everything he talked about, we're going to, we're going to dive in deep to all of the, the concepts that he was just talking about. Uh, we're going to talk about why Yahweh said you're dead. And how good it is to be said that you're to, to be told that you're dead. So we're gonna, we're going to talk about all that. But before we get into the Torah portion, I wanted to um, uh, release this because I just think it's so. I want to remind us how real this is. We are doing Torah portions, but this is not anti-renewed covenant. So if you looked at the Torah portion that goes along with this, it's Isaiah 61. I'm going to read, I'm actually going to, I'm not going to teach out of it, but I'm going to read Isaiah 61, and then I'm going to point out something, okay? Isaiah 61, Besora, which is a message, a message for the brokenhearted. The Ruach Adonai Elohim is on me. Because Adonai has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil for joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Adonai, that he may be glorified. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore former desolations. They will repair the ruined cities, the, des the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and, shepherds your, and shepherd your flocks. Children or foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be called the, the Kohanim of Adonai. That means the priests of Adonai. 
They will speak of you as the ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations and boast in their abundance. Instead of your shame, double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will sing for joy. Therefore, in their lands, they will inherit a double portion, and they will have everlasting joy. For I, Adonai, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering. In faithfulness, I will reward my people and cut an eternal covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations, their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize them, for they are the seed that Adonai has blessed. This is coming out of Isaiah. This is a prophet. Now I bring this up because Abraham is a prophet. I'm reading out of the book of prophets. I want to move just real quickly to Luke 4.16. Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled in Nazareth. I'm moving to verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. Who's he? Yeshua. Yeshua came to Nazareth where he had been raised. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on Shabbat and he got up to read. When the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Ruach Adonai is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor. He closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue were, were focused on him. Then he began to tell them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. This is how real... Yeshua did this. We're not doing the half Torah portions because we're just not reading in Isaiah, but I, I can only imagine that they just got done reading Genesis 20 in the synagogue. Like I could, If they were on a three-year plan, which most likely they were because the one-year plan came post-destruction. So if they were on a th- three-year plan, they most likely just got done reading about Abraham, then read Isaiah, and here you have Yeshua HaMashiach, the one that Isaiah was talking about, and he's... Reading the Torah portions. This is what it means by, it doesn't mean it's fulfilled, so just forget about it. It means, that's, he, he came to bring it meaning. He came to bring fulfillment to it. So, I just wanted to remind us how real this is, because Yeshua was doing this. This was, this was custom for him, they had different readers, and he was the reader for that. And I can only imagine what it felt like when he was the one that said, and this day, that scripture has been fulfilled. But if he's outside of time, can we not say just like we do? And today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Gabe, you had a question? Um, it's Isaiah 61. And then Yeshua reads Isaiah 61 in Luke 4, 16. Mm-hmm. So, back to the Torah portion. Which, if you think about even just that scripture, that he... he he gives comfort to the brokenhearted. Who he is is completely in this Torah portion. Because at the end of the day, it is, we've said this before, but at the end of the day, it is because of Yahweh, because of Yahweh, because of Yahweh, because of Yahweh. Purely. His faithfulness, he has to remain faithful. Even when you are not faithful, he will remain faithful. He cannot lie. Um, And he shows up in such a powerful way, but I want to dig into the different ways that he shows up for us to have understanding for this to be real to us. Okay? 
All right, I think that that's all I wanted to say. Oh, um, yes, everything I just talked about is just, it's a precursor or the reason why that we are understanding that the fulfillment of the covenant comes through Yeshua. Because just like in the, um, the, the Abrahamic covenant, I mean, we're going to get into this, but Paul talks about it all the time, that if you are not the seed from Abraham, you are not part of the covenant. But because that is the only way to get to both Jew and Gentile. Yeshua is the seed of Abraham. So while we say that, that Yahweh is the one that is faithful, it's through Yeshua that, 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 that um, Genesis 20, the larger picture, is about the seed to come. He... We can nitpick this for our personal lives, and he'll do that. But at the, at the overall picture is that Yahweh is faithful because he sees the seed that's to come. Meaning, he's more concerned about his promises that are coming in the future than the daily things that are going on. At, while he completely cares about the daily things. But again, this, this Torah portion is pointing to such a bigger picture because in the midst of this whether it be chaos or this chapter or this part of their story, it's it's about Yeshua bringing that fulfillment to that covenant. And and we're going to get into it, but it's about the attachment to Avraham that brings that fulfillment, which we saw in last week's chapter. We wonder, why did Lot get saved? I mean, he, he was, he, he would, you can have my daughters, right? But he was attached to Avraham. We are also going to see it in a pagan king. Even through Abraham's problems, we see that it was the prophet that had to pray for his salvation. He is as good as dead if you are not connected to his friend. So there is there's this constant replay of what's happening with Abraham being our father. And when I say our father, he's the one that fathered it all, meaning you are not the seed of Adam. We've talked about the second Adam being Yeshua, and yes, but we miss then how the seed got here. And so you are not a seed of Adam, but even prior to Yeshua, being a seed to the Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant brings about the seed of Yeshua. Does that make sense? All right. So I want to start from the beginning. I'm trying to figure where I want to start. Um... He mentioned it. We are in chapter 20. Their names have been changed. So Yahweh has already repeated the promise, released the promise, exposed the promise, cut the covenant to the promise, reminded them of the promise, visited them about the promise, changed their names to confirm the promise. I mean, he is constantly helping and constantly showing up and constantly um, preparing the way. Clearly by now, he has chosen them, and they're going to be blessed. And yet, <laughs> I just find it crazy that he would, he were, we're back at chapter 12. He does it again. But how many of us have gone through that in our daily lives? You're, you have breakthrough, and then you're like, are, are, you, are you kidding me? We're here again? 
right? Like he did it again. It was the same thing. And so um, I just I want us to make that real that it is so easy for us to slip back into old habits, especially because last week you guys were talking about like what is going to cause us to um, to leave a habit. Well, that was a, clearly it was a habit because they had made this pact that that's what they were going to do. Um, so even in his goodness, and, and of course we know that Abraham was faithful, obedient, um, you know, he was a host, like we know all of, all of these things. And even him was not able, was not able to, I mean, being human is the concept here. And this is why it is so powerful for us to understand that it's all based on Yahweh's goodness to fulfill the covenant, not based on man's ability to fulfill the covenant, which is why we can say that it is not um, obeying Torah that fulfills the covenant, but because the covenant is fulfilled, we want to obey the Torah. Just like, I'm going to see if I can say this, uh, in my obedience to him, I am not able to bring about the promise but because of the promise, it causes me to want to be obedient, to be a co-laborer with him. So again, it, there's that, that there's that two-way thing because this in no way is any means for this chapter to be like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Well, if he can tell half-truths and still be a prophet and pray, then I can just keep... This should be a chapter that should cause us to say, where, how can I follow him and, and not do those mistakes. Not that Yahweh's saying, as long as you're chosen, you're go- you're golden. That right? This isn't a free pass to be like, so go ahead and lie and go ahead and live however you want because you're chosen. But because of him being chosen, that he would walk righteous. We've already talked about this. You, the righteousness comes because it was. Um, how did I say that before? You don't have to prove righteousness. He was already proven righteous prior to the law, prior to circumcision. He was deemed righteous. Because of that, he proves his righteousness. You don't prove your righteousness. Okay, look at it this way. Yahweh says you're full. You're whole. You're righteous. Because of that, from that place, I now prove my righteousness laterally. It is not, well, because I'm already righteous without having to do anything, then that means I just don't have to do anything and this is just a two-way street and he just thinks I'm awesome and cute even in my junk. Because read Revelations. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You may or may not be law. There's another aspect to Yahweh. Like, you know, I mean, that should, that should grow our hearts to want to attach ourselves to that covenant and when we do, it causes us to prove our righteousness. So when you attach yourself to the covenant, you're automatically righteous. Because of that, you walk righteous. I talked about that in marriage uh, with that analogy. I have to attach myself to him to be a wife. I cannot be a wife outside of attachment to him. I cannot be a single wife. I have to be attached to him to be a wife. The moment I attach myself to him with Yahweh as a witness, I immediately become a wife. I don't have to prove myself to become a wife. I am a wife. But if he's not in the room, Yeshua left for something greater to come. If he's not in the room, the only way that I can prove that I'm a wife 
to any other man is to wear the mark of the, to have a sign of the covenant and to walk worthy of that sign. I can't put on the sign and walk a different way. Mm-hmm. It, so it's a, it, you, it, <laughs> righteousness is immediate. The title is immediate. But I walk a certain way based on that title. But I'm not proving that title to become more of a wife. There's no hierarchy of wife. Maybe in unity. But there's no, I, I can't become more of a wife. I can become a better wife, but I can't become more of a wife. I can't become more of a daughter. Amen? Amen. Okay. I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, let me say it this way. It is not our faithfulness that garners God's grace. It is God's grace that maintains our faithfulness. Super powerful. I'm going to say that again because I love how this is said. It is not our faithfulness that gives God's grace. I cannot be more faithful to get more grace. But because of his grace, I can become more faithful. Okay? All right. Um, he talked about this. I really want to hit on this. Um, in I'm kind of skipping. I, it's kind of weird how I'm going to do this because I'm kind of skipping down. Um, in verse 11, Abraham says, well, I did this because I thought there was certainly no fear of the Lord here. He talked about this. I'm just going to go a little bit deeper. Accusation. The moment you judge, the moment the mirror is in front of your face. The moment you step in to judge outside of righteousness. Meaning on earth, the moment you step into judgment, a mirror pops right up in your face. Whatever you judge is you. So here you have Abraham saying, I had to do this because I thought that there was no fear of the Lord here. When he was literally walking with no fear of the Lord. He had no trust. He just gave away his wife. I mean, and we're going to get into it. It's not like he just said that was my sister, like it was like a cool thing. You guys have to remember, two chapters ago, before Sodom and Gomorrah, we just got done talking about the promised seed that in one year, Isaac is coming. Think about the timing, you guys. This man gave out his wife to another man in the midst of the promise coming in a month. In fact, she was already pregnant. We're going to get into that. But to, to Abraham did not know that. He knows that a son, if, can, do you guys understand what I'm saying? He, a son is coming in one year, and he decides that this might be a good time for the rest of eternity for his sons and daughters to doubt where the seed came from. Because he, he, he gave his wife as a sister so, she, so he could have sex with her. She was supposed to get pregnant with Isaac. And, and Abraham goes, here, maybe another bloodline will do. Not my, He gave up his bloodline to impregnate his wife, potentially impregnate his wife. I mean, this is like, the, this is crazy, huh? Like he didn't just hand over his wife so he would self-preservation, self-preservation for the fear of being hurt, put Yahweh's entire plan in question or in... Um, Jeopardy. His entire plan. Now, it's not like he was just ignorant. Like he didn't know about the plan. We've known about the plan. He had Ishmael. 
We've been through this before. And he corrected him even on that. And he said that he, uh, Ishmael was going to buck up against the entire family. And Ishmael's still bucking up against the entire family. I mean, there was some grave consequences to Ishmael. I mean, Ishmael came back in the house and he said he's going to be a wild donkey. And he's going to fight with his brother. They've got a crazy household going on. And he still doesn't do it again. was crazy right but think about this he tells a pagan god that he's saying he's saying to, to him well i did it because i thought that there was no fear of the lord like I, everything i just said kind of describes the very thing he judged so the very thing he said you're dealing with he's he is dealing with he had no fear of the lord i mean to me when i describe it that way he had way more not fear of the lord than a pagan king who does not have Yahweh his father and honestly was operating within the rights of his culture. We're going to get into that as well. Okay. Now, after I said all that crazy stuff, how good is Yahweh? That he... He... The covenant promises remain intact because Yahweh is the one who fulfills. To the extent that he makes himself known in a dream to a pagan god who does not worship him. I mean, we're not talking about him releasing him to like a cousin, releasing her to a cousin or a family member or somebody in the household that knows Yahweh. This is a pagan god, or a pagan god, I'm sorry, a, a, a king it's the Philistines, guys. And Yahweh, sovereignty. This is what I'm talking Remember when I got really emotional when I was like, if we knew that we could just turn and look at him and he just appeared, he's just there having a conversation with him, with, with, with uh, Avraham. Remember when I talked about that? It's the same thing here. To trust Yahweh, to know that he would show up in someone else's dreams who is completely not saved and turn their heart and say, I am king. Because Abimelech responds to him and says, El Elohim. He could have said multiple gods or a god. One of my gods came to me. He acknowledged him as Yahweh. He acknowledged him as Abraham's king. Now you understand why he tells Abraham, what did you, why did you do this to me? But it's because Yahweh revealed himself to him. To him, I think that that is super, super powerful on how good our covenant partner is in our failures and in our mistakes. Yahweh is going to protect the promise. Even when you make a mistake, he is going to show up in supernatural ways, like show up to a pagan king and reveal himself. Amen? Now, um... Oh my gosh, there's so many different ways I could go in this direction. Um, I do want to talk about Yahweh saying, you're dead. Um, because something really struck me with this. And I don't know if I'm going to have the right words. But what struck me was, what I had heard was, his condemnation is his grace. I mean, Dad said amen to that. <laughs> his condemnation is his grace. Because when he tells that pagan king that you are dead, 
It is when we acknowledge that we are dead that we recognize we need salvation. If we approach him, I'm not dead. Like what he was saying, I'm full of life. Then he doesn't have access to be able to show us where he wants to give us life. Second thing that's super powerful is um, it says the woman you have taken yourself is married. Now, I want us to understand a couple of things that's happening here when when Yahweh is very bold with Abimelech and says, um, you know, if you don't return her, you're surely going to die. You're dead. You know, all, all of that is is this goes back to the beginning of Genesis. Yahweh is very um, intent about marriage. And so when he's talking about this, we have to understand that in that culture, when Abimelech says, I'm innocent, in his culture, he was, which is why Yahweh said, I understand you're blameless by your own reasoning, not by my standards. That's why he said, I would not let you sin against me. But remember, Abimelech didn't know to sin against him or not. He wasn't serving him as a god. So that's why he tells him, I understand you're blameless by your standards. But I'm not going to let you sin against me. Because a sin against him would, would be to break up a marriage. Because that is a gift to humanity. Now the reason why I say that is because in that culture, it was not abnormal. Abimelech acts like he's all innocent. But by his standards, go back to the beginning. It says Abimelech, uh, um, uh, I'm in verse 2. Abraham said of Sarah, um, his wife, she is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for and took Sarah. So as a king, he sent for and took her. Remember, she's in her 90s. I'm pretty sure it's not because... There was something else in his heart that most likely he probably wanted to, uh, remember, Abraham is very wealthy. He probably wanted to make peace and be able to be a part of this family, not to mention she's a foreigner and he just took her, sent for her, come hither. He's a king. By his culture, that was okay. By Yahweh's culture, you're not going to sin against me. But that's why Abimelech was able to say, like, I'm blameless. But Yahweh knew his heart to say, yeah. But by my standards, you don't just go send for a foreigner. Now, I'm talking that way because you've got to see this in multi-dimensions. You're a foreigner in salvation. So we're seeing a picture of what happens, what Yahweh does. <laughs> Anyways, okay, we're going to get there. Um, I, I, let me see. Okay, I do want to go there. Let me see if I can point out the actual scripture. Um, sorry, you guys. Let me find that. Okay. In verse 6, then God said to him in a dream, yes, I myself knew that you did this with integrity of your heart, meaning by your standards, I understand that you think that this is integrity. So yes, I myself prevented you from sinning against me. Now, the reason why I want to point out me is because he could have said sinning against Abraham. Because he does care about marriage, but there's something deeper here than just marriage. 
Had Abimelech touched her, it would have touched Yahweh's seed. Because she, we'll find out at the end of the chapter, there was a curse that came over the land and their wombs were uh, closed up. So we know that this was a couple of months. Well, Isaac comes less than a year later. So most likely she was pregnant. When Yahweh says that you would be sinning against me, he's ultimately saying, my wife. Because there was a miraculous birth that came, and we're seeing, again, a picture of what is what happens in the future. When Yahweh says over his bride, You're, you won't touch her because you'd be sinning against me. Because in that culture, if you took, um, if you, if, if he was to take Abraham's wife, it would be theft. And isn't that interesting that in Isaiah, I hate robbery, right? It would have been theft, which is why he does pay later. But there's a deeper issue than him just being a, a thief. He's saying you would be sinning against me because he created a seed essentially with Sarah. So it would be against him, not just Abraham. So he was basically putting his boundaries around Sarah. That this is not, she is just not, because in that day, it would, Abraham was property. Now, that's another thing I want to talk about. Females in this, and I don't know if you guys discussed this last week, but with Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot wasn't totally out there. Because in that culture, females were used. They did not have equal authority. They also, any visitor had a higher standard or a higher priority than any family member other than the owner somewhat because they were the ones that had to serve. That's why you see that extreme hospitality. The entire family has to go low and the visitors become higher to the extent that Lot thought, well, I'll give you my daughters because, because the, visitors were, the visitors were higher. So in this culture, you have to understand women did not, they were, you can see how Sarah is somewhat subject to all of this because women were considered property of someone. Yahweh is trying to bring about the equality or the covenant partner in the way that he talks about Sarah. Yahweh never speaks about women that way. From the beginning, she is a partner, an equal partner. Um, uh, let me see if I have this. There was something I wanted to tell you guys. Um, I thought that this part was so good. I am not going to be able to find it, but I'm not going to be able to find it. But we know that Yahweh from the beginning has talked about women and Yeshua is the greatest liberator of women because there is a culture that he's trying to combat. So Yahweh from the very beginning said that females are um, equal partners and are there to fill in the gaps of the failures of the men. That they are a helper because it said you are, it's not good for you to be alone. So, so females are actually placed in order to like fill in the holes of what is loneliness. And so there's this thing that Yahweh sees in this dynamic and you're looking at a culture that's operating differently. So you've got that, you've got that aspect as well. Does that, does that make sense? Um, so I just thought that that was super powerful. I thought that that was very interesting that he said, you're sinning against me, not just sinning against Abraham because he is inserting again, his nature and his character towards marriage and towards the way a female should be treated. Because of course the king thought send for her. And of course, Abraham thought, well, you know, if you don't take her, I'll die. 
So in that self-preservation and in that culture, it's very easy to slip into those dynamics when from the very beginning, Yahweh never wanted those dynamics. And you can see Yeshua also uplifting and um, uh, shifting, shifting that culture as well. Okay, um, the next part that I wanted, which I kind of already touched on, was um, Abimelech needing to restore. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much in this, but needing to restore the, the man's wife. Again, uh, talking about this, Abimelech's salvation for the death penalty had to do with the intercession of Abraham. If you guys remember two weeks ago, um, Yahweh was training him to be an intercessor. So remember remember a couple weeks ago where we talked about how um, Abraham was being trained over, over Sodom and Gomorrah and how he was interceding for the city? And we, we got the pattern to draw near and he was training him how to intercede. Well, here you see it in action. He's not only a prophet, which we can also see that that calling or that place of office does not go away in the lapse of, of Abraham. And at the same time, because of his trained intercession, he was called to intercede over uh, Abimelech. But there's a picture here. You have a pagan king who has the revelation of Yahweh, who seeks out the prophet to be able to be prayed for. Or essentially an intercessor is a priest. Look at the picture. Yahweh reveals him reveals to us Gentiles or to the foreigner we seek out the elder brother who's the priest that by his intercession he is the only way to the father like essentially we are Abimelech in this picture attaching ourselves to the to the Abrahamic uh, covenant and in his intercession we are saved from what the death penalty <laughs> Why are you guys not excited? <laughs> are you guys doing okay? Is it the smell? <laughs> um, okay. Um, I thought it was interesting to see how this plays out because towards the end of the chapter obviously that awkward confrontation comes where Abraham has to meet Abimelech and Abimelech has to come to Abraham and say um your god just told me what you did <laughs> He is a pagan king that just got judged by Abraham that said, there's no fear of the Lord here. And he has to come to him and say, um, Elohim, the God that you serve, told me who you were, who your wife was. And I just find it so interesting that how amazing then this, pay, I mean, and we do kind of see this all through scripture where uh, the obedience of a pagan outweighs a chosen person. But that also then shows the position that we're in now. The obedience of a pagan or a foreigner or a Gentile 
outweighs the chosen people. Not because the chosen people are gone and I replace them, because I need the chosen people to intercede for me. Because they are the attachment to Abraham. But in a revelation where he reveals himself to Abimelech, and his response was not replacement theology, he did not come in and be like, um, you suck, Yahweh showed me who you are, so give me your wife, and you are out, and I'm in. He laid his land before Abraham. He paid for all of the, the mishap. I think it's a little interesting that he said, I'm paying, I, I've paid your brother. He tells Sarah, I paid your brother. I think that was kind of like, okay, Sarah. But I mean, it was out of like, you know what I mean? Like he, he, and he then seeks out of humility, I need you, I need your prayer. And then Abraham blesses him. It is a picture of what, (laughs) there's so much in this chapter. It is a picture of who we are and how we walk. And what has happened in the church culture to say, we know Yeshua, they missed it. Abraham missed it. He's still chosen. Abraham missed it. He's still chosen. Abimelech, by revelation, receives who he is and then ends up responding the way that he did. And, and, And through all of this, through all of this, who gets restored? What's the la- what's the last word? Um, first of all, the very very last word says uh, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It was a statement. Let me make this clear. She is his wife. When this happens in our culture, the bride will we will be the bride. Okay. Before that, then if uh, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech his wife and his female slaves that they could bear children for Adonai had completely locked up. Oh, eight before that. Um, it was Abimelech that said it to everyone. So to everyone with you, you are vindicated. Abimelech tells the bride, you are vindicated for all that's happened to you. This word vindicated is super powerful. This word vindicated means set right, cleared, be right. It has been decided. It has been proven. How powerful is this? Okay, a couple things I want to just, that's kind of the ending, but there's just a couple things that I want to point out that I thought was super significant. It has to do with Avraham. Are you guys ready for just two more things? Okay. Okay. Isn't it interesting that Abraham accepts the goods? Because in chapter, what was that, 10? I feel like I wrote it down somewhere. Chapter 14. Remember he won the war? And a pagan god right in front of Melchizedek says, here, let me give you all this. And he goes, only through Yahweh. The reason why I bring this up is you can see a little bit of compromise a little bit of falling back to an old habit, all of a sudden you're not able to hold the same moral ground that you once were. And I think it's super interesting 
I'm not saying that it's wrong. I just think it's interesting because in chapter 14, he was very bold. Only Yahweh will get the glory. Only Yahweh is going to, um, sh I, I will not become rich by anybody else. Then Abimelech offers all this stuff and he says, thanks. So it just kind of shows a, a, a little bit of what can enter in when we, whatever, however you want to take the chapter, chapter, don't trust, um, fall back to old patterns, um, good ideas that we think are righteous that are not. Uh, I, I can't remember how you said it, but you know, things that will say I, I am, I am healthy or I am right when Yahweh is saying, you know, you're dead. Yeah. You know, being right in our own eyes, you know, all those things. And then, and then falling to those things. I just found it interesting that he didn't, he didn't have that same high, high moral ground as he did a couple chapters ago. So I wanted to bring that up. And then one more thing I really uh, wanted to talk about because this is a, um, a, a warning. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into that. He says, Abraham says, uh, I got to find the scripture. Um, because I thought there is certainly no fear in the God of this place who will kill me because of my wife. And besides, uh, really, my sister It's before that. Where is that scripture? It's where he says, God made me wander. Okay. Uh, verse 13. So, oh, I was just reading it, and then I stopped. And besides, she really is my sister. She's my father's daughter. Let me just touch on that really quick. Um, so, uh, in Eastern, in this, in this culture, it was common for half-sister and brothers to get married. So that is a real thing when he says that. So that so that's why when he said, you know, well, she is my sister. He essentially what he was doing though was making an excuse because it was a half truth. They were married. So the 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 concept there for us is a half truth is a whole lie. A half truth is a whole lie and leads to absolute destruction and despair. Because let's go back to what Abraham was doing. He was putting the seed at stake. He was putting you at stake to not know if Yeshua came from Abraham. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a big picture here. So, so I mean, at the end of the day, it was excuses. But a half truth is a whole lie. And so you so so that was real. Now, what we're going to learn is that in this culture, in the culture, it was um, it was okay. We are going to read in the future. It is absolutely against Torah. But this, but this had not been, it had not been given yet or established yet. And so this is a part of our storyline. Now, this gets into a little bit of theology, but what's interesting here is that they make this known. I'm trying to think of how to say what my mind is saying, what my brain is thinking. If there was a different author that wanted to highlight things and didn't really want to reveal this aspect, it wouldn't be exposed. But there's purpose in exposing, there's just purpose in exposing this. And so I just wanted to make sure that I clarified that in the sense of that this is part of the real story. Moving forward, uh, Yahweh does declare in the Torah, in the Torah, uh, in the commandments, in the laws, that that is not, that that is not okay. So, and we can see the problems that it causes. You know, with Abraham being like, well, she is my sister. Okay. So, so I, 
I mean, who knows? Maybe Yahweh was like, I'm, you know, I'm not really worried about incest. I'm just worried about people being able to do half-truths. So can we just cut this off? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so verse 13. So when God made me wander away from my father's house. I want to talk about that. That word wander is one of the worst words he could have used. It does not mean when God made me leave. The word wander can mean like I, I, I wandered on my journey. What Abraham's doing right now is he's absolutely blaming Yahweh. He's basically saying, when Yahweh made me error, this word wander is only used a few times in the scriptures, and it is negative. It is the word that is used for error, going astray, path of lying. That word, if you look it up in the, in the Blue Letter Bible, it means a path of lying. So when he said, when, when God made me go down the path of lying, I said to her, this is your loyalty that you must show me. In every place we go, he is my brother. He's basically saying, well, me and my wife, you know, we had to come up with this because Yahweh made me lie. So there's some stuff that's going on right there with Avraham and the way that he's walking to where then you can see the very next scripture where, you know, Abimelech is giving over these good, if anything, in my opinion, Avraham should have been asking for forgiveness. In fact, let me, I want to read something. Where's my phone? Like if anything, Avraham should have been asking for forgiveness instead of receiving the gifts, but you can kind of see where his, where, where he's, where he's at. And isn't it interesting that all of this kind of happens with Avraham? Let's just look at the next uh, Torah portion, birth of Isaac. The promise is at the door. It's right there. And Avraham is lying, taking goods. He's compromising. He's blaming Yahweh. And yet he is a prophet. He has to inter he intercedes, you know, for, for Abimelech and, and his wife is restored. Let me see if I can just find this really quick. I was reading this and the way that this was written, I thought, man, that is a powerful prayer. So I'm just going to read it. Okay. Okay, this is what it says. Abraham should have said, Forgive me, Abimelech, for dishonoring both you and my God. My selfish cowardice overwhelmed me, and I denied my God by fearing that he who called me could not take care of me. He is not as your gods of wood and stone. He is the God of glory. He is the living God, the creator, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. He told me he would be my shield Remember when we talked about that? And he became a literal, uh, he said, I will be your shield and your protector. He told me he would be my shield and my exceeding, uh, great, my exceeding great reward and supplier of all my needs. In sinning against him, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Now, I read that because this, like I said, this is not a, this is not a pass. Because if you're chosen, that you can do this. It's a what not to do. Because we have... The benefit of being transitionaries outside of time and outside of this story to look back and know that just the next chapter, the birth of Isaac is coming. So because we know Abraham did not, just like we don't know our future, but there are other, like Yahweh knows what's coming. So, I mean, in hindsight, like, I don't mean it like I can judge him. 
because he was in that chapter. I can only be so bold because I'm outside of it. Like, Deborah, you know, like I can only imagine how the angels and the guardians and the tutors and Yahweh are like, it's just right there. But we're like in our like, you know, we're, we don't we don't know what's going on. So I don't mean it like Abraham is for, you know, like he. But I thought that that prayer was so powerful because it shows us how we can respond. Can you imagine the witness that he would have had to a pagan God that said, my God, the one that just introduced himself to you. Will you forgive me? My God is not the God like your God. But but he, he didn't necessarily take that opportunity because he was he was falling trapped to some things. So again, remember how we've talked about some of that discipleship with dynamics. Go higher. Abraham was so ingrained in some of the stuff that was going on that he didn't seek the opportunity to be able to see higher, to be able to uh, intercede even in that way for Abimelech. Oh, there's that wording. Well, earlier when I was talking about the wife that fills in the gaps, I was looking for the word supplying to him what he lacked. Anyways, not that that necessarily matters, but I just like that. Supplying what he lacked. Like that is what um, she was created a helper, someone who corresponded to him as a companion. Um, and we also, knowing this, learn that in stories, whenever a woman is not granted her high position as the one who is created in his image, there are um, basically uh, his plans get interrupted. So we've, we've seen that over and over and over again. So there's kind of this, I just I bring that up mainly because there's just this underlying storyline of his bride and how the enemy has come in just like in the culture you know in in multiple eras that that tries to walk a certain way that Yahweh is always trying to trying to reverse that so which to me this entire Torah portion is absolutely um, the, the, the faithfulness of Yahweh, which is kind of like what I was saying about being able to be as bold as Yahweh will protect even when uh, her husband couldn't, um, the king of the land couldn't. She had to that process in that culture to be able to um, rely on Yahweh's protection to, to get her through. And, and, I, and I don't mean to... We don't necessarily know Sarah's role. I'm sure she was definitely a part of the pact and, 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 and went along with it. But we're not seeing in the story where she rises up against her husband and tells him he's an idiot. So what we see is, is we're seeing, um, this is like marriage 101 stuff. But Yahweh never will require a wife to sin against him under the guise of submission to a husband, right? So if, if for some reason, if he asked me to sin and it was against Yahweh, he can't say, well, you have to submit to me because it's, it's, it's to Yahweh. That being said, a woman who is submitted to Yahweh knows how to respond to that request in a kingdom way that will bring salvation to a husband. So it doesn't give us a right either to just be like, well, Yahweh's my lover and or, or whatever. Does that make so it's not a free pass, but there's a there's this um 
beautiful thing, and obviously the, the renewed covenant talks about it a lot, and Paul talks about it a lot, but that's what's happening in those scriptures about the church and the husband and the wife and all that and all that kind of stuff that there that's in this scripture, Sarah is submitted to Yahweh that brings about the ability for restoration to come because of the way that she responded to her to her husband in the sense of being submitted to that. But when I say that, I just want to make sure that I'm not saying like so if your husband says that you're your sister, like I'm not saying that that means that like, okay, but we don't know. Does that make sense what I'm saying? We don't know the intricacies, but what we do know is that she absolutely had to trust that she was, that she was going to be protected. And in the end, Yahweh protected her regardless of her, um, either her submission or her uh, act, actually agreeing to, or however she was positioned that Yahweh had said, Regardless of all of that, I am going to protect my seed and I'm going to protect the one who carries my seed. Because at the end of the day, Abraham was willing to say, well, it might come from someone else, but it was Sarah who was going to get pregnant. And so Yahweh had, that's why he said, he, you would be sinning against me because it wasn't really even in a way about Sarah or about Abraham. It was about Isaac and it was about, don't you touch my son. And he will do whatever it takes at the cost of the parents to say, don't touch my son. He's mine. And it's, it's by my, it's by my miraculous, you know, way. So Torah portion number 20. I think that that's it. Amen. Well, in the did he get stuff for for saying that the first time? Yeah. Yeah, but didn't he get? Didn't Pharaoh? Yeah, I guess it would have been correlated to that. I was thinking that. Oh yeah, because he said, "Get out of here." Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what's so interesting because. Yeah, he didn't take. Um, yes, he got the he got the slave. He got all this stuff. He didn't um, take from the pagan, but then he did this one. So I think that. I mean, I, I think ultimately that's where it comes down to that relationship and allowing him to convict because there are earthly rewards that that you have that you have to be able to like surpass you know those temptations to, to be able to walk righteous and and ultimately and we'll see it in the next you know the next torah portions but part of it was um it's just about that seed and so um him you know him understanding that promise because i mean it's the same thing of i mean even him them concocting to have you know ishmael you know in my mind it worked like in his mind, at least for me, what I know, I wanted a baby. So like it worked. So the only so then it would be like, well, why wouldn't he keep just having some more slaves, you know, but then there's consequences because then Ishmael comes home and it's it's war against, you know, it's but then he also gets um, uh, a face to face with him where he gets a full conversation and is training him. And so then the, then you take those moments and then you ask the same question. Well, why wouldn't he keep following Yahweh when he has those, you know, intimate moments with him, you know? And so that's where we don't really know the intricacies. I mean, Abraham is, I mean, in his mind, you could, I mean, I don't know if he was, uh, 
not that he wasn't conscious. What am I thinking? Um, like he, he probably literally thought that like, well, she is my sister. Like they probably thought that it was a good path. Like he didn't. So it's, justify. yeah, just, you know, justifying it in the sense of, well, I'll, you know, I'll be, I'll be killed if I don't do this. But again, that comes down to trusting Yahweh versus like the earthly good. Well, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I would have to even, I would have to think more on that question, but I was just thinking about like when he went to Egypt and he got all that, it could be like his thought process could be the reward. Like, okay, I made a mistake, but we won out. And so Yahweh's goodness, right? So you would think it would stop him from doing it again, but then he did. And I don't necessarily know why other than protection and not trusting, but I don't know. We don't know that he did it for goods. Because his heart's intent was that he didn't want to die. It's not like he went in saying, hey, say you're my sister so we can get some stuff. That would be another whole thing. So, I mean, I don't know. So we don't know. Do you have more to add? No. <laughs> Just getting rid of that whole time. That's good. Well, you definitely get like more impactful and more powerful, and, and the picture of everything is so becomes so much more clear. Like multiple areas, just the the fact that a foreigner's obedience mm -hmm. position, mm -hmm. what that like that that was very impactful to me mm -hmm. in the fact that it doesn't replace mm -hmm. the chosen one, but. And so that correlation is beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. That those chapters so good. like obedience is a, a a huge thing. And I mean, I mean, at this point, like like we're talking in relation to tithe, but just how powerful is that? That uh, that simple thing is what is like mm -hmm. that gets the king's attention mm -hmm. or Yahweh's attention. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a powerful thing for us to remember that there's no level of goodness or righteousness. Like there's there's all these things that in our minds we can build up that maybe religion has led us to or things, but or even just our own self-interest or self-thought. But to see that obedience is, is that impactful, regardless. It doesn't matter what you believe or what you came up in, but that that's a powerful thing. Um, and then I'm going to pass the uh, bucket around uh, for offering. I know a lot of us text to give this just for if you do cash or if you have a check. I know last week I had shared about the two different cycles. There's a cycle of resentment and then there's a cycle of gratitude. And I started with the fact that like resentment is just a lack of gratitude. And so wealth is built from gratitude. So not just that we're taking this moment to give because, oh, it's just that time, or it's just what we do, but reflecting on what we're grateful for, regardless of our weeks, regardless of the stress, regardless of all the stuff that comes, if we don't realign ourselves to a position of gratitude, things can fade, things can, like, even, when I compared it last week to even within a relationship. If I come home in a different frequency and I don't shift my frequency to one of gratitude, mm -hmm. my family and my marriage can suffer. Mm -hmm. And the same with our act of giving, if we don't shift mm -hmm. out of 
the pressure of the day, the pressure, the burden of, of finance, whatever it is, then there's something that it costs. And so just being sure that as we're doing this, that we're doing it in a position from gratitude, that we are grateful for the week. We're grateful we made it through the snow. We're grateful to come to receive something like this. We're grateful, and therefore, we do it out of a grateful heart. So uh, just a small reminder. It's good. That was incredible. Yeah. That was really good. It's making me think of, I've been um, kind of along the same lines of recognizing, I don't even know if I'd be able to say it right now, but recognizing that any um, frustration, irritation, any of the shuns, what are the other ones? Frustration, irritation, I feel like there's like a bunch of like shuns that are just not kingdom. So then I have to like recognize how many times out of the day if I'm supposed to live from a place, and anytime I'm just irritated, you know, I have irritation, yeah. I'm all. <laughs> like it can just, and how it can pendulum swing in a second. I'll be like super, like good to go, and then one thing, I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? And then all of a sudden, it's just like I'm, 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 I'm I mean, clear. Heaven only knows a thing. I, I know, I know we, I know we. I know we've talked about this and it didn't go over very well the first time we talked about this. I think we'll be fine now. But there's an aspect when we know that Jesus is Jesus. We know that. But there comes a point when a son and a daughter starts to mature and you gain knowledge. If you know something, why revert to something? If you Like once you know something, you can't unknow something. What I had released about the uncreated realm or heaven doesn't know that name. So, it, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> like I said, it didn't go over well the first time. It's okay as we're learning. He knows our hearts. But if you want the mysteries, the greater things, like he knows our hearts. He's good. I'm not saying you don't have access to him if you say Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. At the same time, I'm a mother who wants to raise us to maturity that we would constantly grow. And if there are things that you want to be accessible to, like how to not slip back to old patterns, how to walk worthy of righteousness, how to understand the mysteries, how to go deeper in the scripture. He says, knock, and I, I will answer, but if you're knocking on a door that's not even his door, you can't just knock on anything and be like, you said you'd answer. He's like, I'm not, I'm, that's not my door. Who's the door? <laughs> Who's the door? Yeshua. He's the only way. So you can't go knocking on somebody else's door and think he's going to answer. So there's there's cons, there's there's these principles. Are we, what, are we okay? Like there's these principles that heaven doesn't know. And it's okay to say this now on earth. I'd rather say it now than when the time comes and he goes, all these things you did in my name, I didn't know. I don't know you. I'd rather me press you now to say maybe he doesn't know what you're saying because you know I mean you you understand what I'm saying so it's like if he wants us to learn what did he really say 
in the beginning. Like if we want to unlock what he was saying, because he didn't say in the beginning. He did. He, well, he didn't say in the beginning. Moshe did. He didn't say let there be light. I, I, we understand that, right? Elohim, God of the universe, of all the galaxies. Like he, he wasn't standing there in English saying let there be light. That's not what happened. If he wants us to know what was happening in let there be light, then you then you're going to have to address him in the not let there be light yeah. way. Yeah. Or you can, but then he'll say let there be light. And that's good. <laughs> that's good. That is good. We we all have, have established that in 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 Bible school. Then he said, right? We know that he said, let there be light. Thank you for that light. But then when he says, what light? What light was I talking? I hadn't created the sun yet, daughter. Wow, what have you been saying this whole time? I thought it was let there be light and there's all this light. And then later on, and then he's, so then he, so then I find out he said, let there be you. Don't you want to talk to him like that? But my point in all that is if you want to speak to him in those deeper places, then there's there's an aspect that heaven doesn't acknowledge certain things. So my point with the irritation was that I recognize like heaven is like, he's like, heaven's like, Or I'm like trying to step into heaven. He's like, no, (laughs) none of that. I mean, think about it. Do you think that in your grossness that he's going to let you come into a holy place? No. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't meet you where you're at. He'll descend all day long and meet you where you're at. At some point, I don't want Yahweh to have to come down here in my crap. He asked us to come up here. You are seated in heavenly places. He doesn't say, I am seated at the right hand of my disgusting daughter. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I all I got to do is not get the right grocery order, and I am pissed off. <laughs> they give me the wrong substitution. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I literally said in the car earlier, story of my life. <laughs> and then he's like, you want that to be the story of your life? Let me do it again. Yeah. Now you have a copay for your uh, your uh, medicine you just picked up. I'm like, <laughs> and then he does it again. Oh, you're irritated about that? I'm gonna make it snow. I told you guys I'm getting married. I told you guys I should have trusted my instinct, right? But I just mean like, you know, I mean it's like all of a sudden it's like let me step in heaven. He's like. Not in that condition. <laughs> so there's some things. There's this. There's. I mean, that's that tabernacle, right? And you're. You, anyway. So, why was I saying all that? Just to go along with what you're saying, like shifting frequencies and how it changes the household. Yeah. Same thing with heaven. Yahweh is not gonna let me come into here with all my frequency. You know, he's he's gonna be like shift it, just like Derek's saying before you go through the door, shift it. Your household's heaven. Shift it, Jalen. Amen. Jason, Amen. go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Well, everything 
Derek said everything you just said, Mom, I feel like it's a, it's a perfect segue to just kind of hopefully wrap this up. And um, not in the sense that we're closing what we, we said tonight, um, but in fact, I want to shift the, flip the perspective and even say, like, let's keep this open so we can continue in it. Um, but, I mean, when I say perfect segue, everything you saying about frequency, I think everybody could agree, sometimes these lower portions, when you're allowing it to read to you, or you're even a step further back and you're just reading it to read it, can evoke a frequency, right? So, even having that perspective of like, I know for myself, I've had to, sometimes before I even try to get into it, I need to check my frequency and make sure that I'm in a place to receive what's about to be read about me, right? Yep. All of, all of tonight was just, we, we can say this every week and words are never enough, but it was so powerful, so overwhelming, so just stirring, and I, I, I keep hearing this like a phrase that I have been feeling for me personally lately is shook, like my, I'm being shook in so many ways. Um, I wanted to, before I continue in this, even just remind us of what was what was uh, spoken to the family last week um, when, when Megan closed. She kind of left us with two points of, of homework, she said, and things for us to do throughout the week in preparation for tonight. And I want to remind us of that, trusting at the same time that this is a family that, that walks those things out. The first point she had was that we need to ask ourselves the question, am I willing to allow my life to be imposed upon? And all that that brings with it. The second question is, what is it in me that would be like Lot needing to be dragged out of the place? Or his wife, who was fully aware of the grace that was on them, still turned back and wished that she was someone And so knowing that that is the thing that sent us into tonight, I'm even further pressed and overwhelmed at everything that was released because it, it is continuing to stir up these, 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 if I could just say it this way, these, these tough things to look at, these tough dynamics that we have to wrestle through. How beautiful is it and how, how privileged is it that we are in this position to see these things, mm-hmm. right? There's kind of three main things that stuck out to me as, as all of this was um, being, being uh, presented tonight. And I, I feel like when I when I go through a lot of this stuff, something that's personal for me, and I don't know if anybody else does this, but I'm often writing things in my notes in the form of questions. Like something will be presented or revealed, and it immediately is a question. Not a questioning of what was released, but it's, it's, it's shown to me as a question for me. So there's kind of three, three things, two, two questions and, and uh, one, one statement I can say. The first thing is how easy it is, how easy is it to remove yourself from this? We've talked about that over and over that we, we have to be careful not to remove ourselves from this from, from the reading of these four portions. That we don't just read it at face, take it at face value, read it at, at a surface level, and just say, cool, cool, that wasn't me. Well, that didn't stir something in me. Yeah. But can we go deeper and deeper and deeper and not remove ourselves from 
The second question that stuck out to me tonight was how easy is, is it to lose trust? We talked about Abraham's position yeah. tonight, how in the midst of confirmation mm -hmm. after confirmation after mm -hmm. confirmation of the mm -hmm. promise to come, Right. Still, mm -hmm. something can creep in that mm -hmm. will cause you to lose trust. Mm -hmm. Like a grocery order. <laughs> or <Right>. snow. <laughs> like, Seriously. Like that, that shakes me because that makes me think how many times have I been very clearly shown a promise and still something just takes me right off track, right off course. Yeah. Now, that even reminds me of something that was said last week, that righteousness, right? We know that it's established already. Righteousness is not just this thing that we're working to attain. It's something that he assigns, and it's something that we, we, we walk with, where we're, we're seeing and moving towards his promise, right? Now, that does not mean, it was established last week, that does not mean perfection. So, in the midst of all of this, can we be humble enough to evaluate line by line, word by word, moment by moment, am I losing trust? Have I lost trust? Did I fly off course in this moment? Is there something in me that's just totally like going off this way when he's showing me what the right thing is? Because in the midst of all of that, there is still this, this dynamic where we are choosing to continue to go back. It's like there's this there's this course he has us on, and it's like we're here, we go back. We're here, we go back. We're here, we go back. But we're choosing to do that, and we, we will continue to do that. The third thing was, and this is, I, as a man, as a husband, humble that we have a father in this house, and we have a dad in the house that can come from a place of extreme humility and, and literally just say, I'm not coming to you to teach about this, but I'm coming to expose. Because that impressed me, especially when we started getting into this whole half-truth thing. And saying, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, uh, we have to seek the whole truth because a half truth is, is still a lie. A whole lie. Half truth, half -truth is a whole lie. lie. That is, that's like, that's like a slap in the face for me. Because how many, again, how many times have I not only in and of myself operated in a half truth, but how many times can I, can I read this and make this a half truth? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, mm -hmm. can you hear what I'm saying mm -hmm. in, in different, different dimensions or mm -hmm. different planes. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to I wanted to throw something out real quick and this is kind of like a, a silly shift of gears. So but hear what I'm saying in this. Gabe last night at Armory had a game for the teens to play. And I'm like connecting now how applicable that game was. Not that it wasn't in the moment because his heart expressed in the game made sense, but it's like magnified to me tonight. What we had to do was we had to roll an Oreo down the table, and at the end of the table, there were, what, eight cups? Seven cups filled with random condiments, chocolate syrup, uh, maple syrup, uh, peanut butter, soy sauce, and then there was like mustard. 
Ew. Hot sauce. Like there was the listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.